Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> this is part two of the adult Sunday school class. Not really, but there is quite a few parallels. Brother Hoyle was stealing some of my thunder this morning. But that's okay. Repetition is the key of learning. Anyway, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he, shall from, he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Your prayer is an act of faith in the Almighty God who in response to those prayers can alter the course of human events. It's not simply asking God for what you want and getting it. It's not quite that simple. God will never contradict himself nor act on, behalf, or on our behalf against his will, but he will work or act on our behalf on behalf of the cries of his people. Uh, there's examples, of course, of this in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, where the, the Bible says the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and God heard their cries. And he said, their cries are come up before me. And that's when he called Moses and sent Moses in to deliver. You remember in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses stood between the children of Israel and the Lord, the Lord said, I'm going to destroy this people. And Moses stood between them and the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord repented that which he thought to do unto those people. And then the classic one in the New Testament, James 5, verses 16 through 18. James 5, 16 through 18. 
the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject like the passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So, prayer is an act of God, but it's an act of God in response. It's an act of faith in God who responds to our prayers, which can alter the course. But, but the title of this message this morning is some prerequisites for an effective prayer life. God doesn't just, God does hear every prayer. You know, sometimes we say, well, God isn't hearing my prayers. What we, what we really mean by that is God is not answering. Or God, sometimes God's not obligated. God's not obligated to hear the prayer of an unrighteous person. So there are some prerequisites, some requirements for an effective prayer life. Let's pray, and then we'll look at these. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word this morning. And I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and bring conviction where conviction is needed. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith, even as the disciples asked, Lord, increase our faith, that we might see you work and glorify yourself in and through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some prerequisites to an effective prayer life. First of all, praying with reverence. In Luke 11 again, verse 2, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Of course, this is, this is, not, this is a model prayer for us. For the disciples. This was not a prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus didn't need to pray this prayer. He had no sin. He didn't need to say, Father, you know, forgive me my sins and I'll forgive all those that I've trespassed against. Because he had no sin. This was not the Lord's prayer. It was a prayer. It was, a, it was an answer in uh, to a request by the disciples. Lord, you tell us or you show us, you teach us how we ought to pray. And so it is instructive to us how we ought to pray. So we are to pray with reverence. The word hallowed there in verse 2 says, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. The word hallowed, so we must come with reverence, that he is to, be, is to venerate or to consider sacred or to reverence. You know, Psalm 89, 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. You know, we, we, live in a, we live in a society that wants to throw away and, and, and do away with, with respect and reverence. Not to, you know, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't exalt people above measure more than they should be, but we need to have respect for people in authority. We have reverence for them. You know, I was, I was, I've been to places where, where pastors want to be called just by their first name. Or, or uh, I was at a camp one time, and um, I was the camp director. wasn't wasn't I was assistant pastor at the time. But anyway, one of the men from one of the supporting churches that brought some young people to the to the camp, and he is a very respectful man. Man, and and he said uh, he said, Brother Byler, what do you want my young people to call you? And I said, uh, I said. I guess, uh, yeah. I guess, 
I guess Mr. Byler or Mr. Jason. And, uh, you know, I was probably 30, 30 years old at the time, 30, 32 or 33, something like that. And uh, he said, okay. He said, I appreciate that. He said, some people just like to be called by the first name. He said, but I don't think that's helpful to young people. They need to show some respect. You know, the Bible does teach that. They, what they call their kings, they called them Lord. Oh, my. They, in fact, ladies, Sarah called Abraham Lord. Whose daughters you are if you do well in calling your Lord. No, uh, no, but it, it does show that Sarah was to res- give respect and reverence to her husband. That's the idea here. And, 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 a, and a child, you know, some, pa- some parents like to be buddy-buddy with their kids. No, they're not my buddy. They're my children. And they need to learn to show respect. And reverence to parents. I mean, we can easily see what has happened to that in our society and where that has taken us. You know, my children are good friends. Some of the best friends I have. My wife's my best friend, but some of my children are my best friends. But we're not just on a buddy-buddy relationship. It's a parent-child relationship or dad-daughter or dad-son. And if you if you have that relationship right, the friend thing will take care of itself. You don't have a problem there. No, and we need to come. And by the way, that's that's where we learn to reverence God by showing respect. You know, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter twelve that that our fathers corrected them, corrected us, and we gave them what? We gave them reverence. So God is to be revered. He's to be greatly feared. Psalm 111, verse 9, he says, He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. So he is worthy or commands that we, the word venerate really means to worship, that we, we worship Him or consider Him above us or we revere Him. We're not going to the man upstairs. I, I hate that when people say, well, you know, the man upstairs. He's not a man. He's a holy God. But one that does care and has compassion for me and for you. But we need, So we need to come to Him with reverence, hallowed, hallowed his name. Also, as we think about revering him, we need to come to him as not only as hallowed or to be revered, but as a sovereign. Notice verse 2 again says in the end of that verse, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. You know, he is the sovereign Lord. In Exodus 8.22 it says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. In Matthew 11.25, the Bible says, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth. In Acts 17.24, when Paul was speaking to the, those Athenians, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And so, when you acknowledge that he is sovereign, that it is his will that we should be seeking and not our own. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's best for us. And so we are to come to God with fear and reverence, recognizing that He is high, He is holy, He is Lord, He is sovereign over heaven and earth. We need to seek His way and His will in our lives and in our affairs. So it is not, you know, prayer is not commanding or demanding of Him. It's beseeching Him and beseeching Him to fulfill his will in us and through us. So, firstly, we need to pray with reverence. Secondly, we need to pray with righteousness. Notice verse 4 says this, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So a prerequisite then for effective praying is a righteous life. A righteous life. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Verse 21, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he says here that we're to, we're to come, you know, God invites us, you know, we have liberty and boldness to enter into the very presence of God, that secret place of prayer, if you will, that it, you know, through the veil, remember that veil was rent in twain, and so we can go directly to God in prayer. But when our mind and our will, when it talks about the heart here, he says having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, is speaking about our mind, our will, it being cleansed by the blood of Christ. Uh, the, the word sprinkled, uh, the idea of sprinkling from an evil conscience there. So, so we're free from guilt. A guilty conscience. And so when our mind and our will is cleansed, is free from guilt, we, we, we can enter into the presence of God in prayer. And, and then it also says, and our, and our bodies washed with pure water, you know, we're not committing sins of the body or we're walking in fellowship with the Lord. You know, Second Chronicles, remember, remember uh, when uh, uh, Solomon had, had the... Uh, God came to him in a dream by night and asked him, what, will you, what would you like? And, and then Solomon had this prayer of dedication when he built the temple in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And very familiar verse. But, but notice what it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So there's the clearing of the conscience, sprinkled from the evil conscience, 
And then he says, turn from other wicked ways. That has to do with their physical. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Psalm, in Psalm 15, Psalm 15, says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? So we're talking about somebody here who's dwelling in the presence of God, that, that place of prayer, that place of communion with the Lord. And it says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness speaketh the truth in his heart. That's to do with the, the mind and the will there. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. In other words, he will do right even if it cost him. And then he says in verse 5, He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. In other words, he don't take advantage of people. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. 1 Peter 3, 2 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So if we want God to hear us and work on our behalf, we have to be righteous. You think about Noah. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I think it's in chapter 7, verse 1. God made this statement about Noah. For thee have I found righteous before me in this generation. See, Noah's life was distinct from anyone else's. He walked in righteousness. His life was a life of walking with the Lord and pleasing Him. Of course, Job, the Bible speaks of Job in Job chapter 1, verse 1, that says he was perfect, upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And of course, he had those three very good friends that came to help him. And, uh, and, and at the end of the book, in chapter 42, verses 7 and 8, you remember how the, the, the Lord... Uh, uh, came to Job and spoke with Job and, and then he said this and it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job the Lord said to Eliphaz and Tem, the Temanite my wrath is kingdom against thee and against thy two friends for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you See, God said of Job, he's perfect, he's upright, he's one that fears God and skews evil. And when he was looking for somebody to pray, he said, you go to Job. And you ask him to pray for you. you know, that, that was a good dose of humble pie right there. Those three friends had to go to Job and say, you know what? Um, we weren't right. And he said, you, ask, you go to my servant Job and shall pray for you. For him I will Except, lest I deal with you after your folly. 
Of course, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, Psalm 66, 18 still says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He will not. And so, our prayers, we need to pray in righteousness. You know, real prayer is really a time of self-examination. When, when you've got to go to God with something heavy in your heart, it, it will cause you to search your own heart. I mean, if you want to get a hold of God. So, there's praying with reverence, praying with righteousness. And then thirdly, prerequisite to prayer, we must pray with persistence. Now, verses 5 through 10, <clears throat> 5 through 10 of Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives a parable, if you will, or a story here. And he says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now the word importunity means shamelessness and impudent. Or impudent. Impudent, I guess is the way you say that. Now, I looked up that word impudent or impudence. And impudence means bold-faced audacity. You know, we'll, we'll sometimes make a statement. Well, he had the audacity to ask, you know. It's like, I couldn't believe that guy would ask such a thing. That's the idea here. You know, shamelessness, in other words, we're not ashamed, and impudent. Now, Moulton's analytical Greek lexicon described it this way, pertinacious importunity. In other words, and the word pertinacious means holding tenaciously to a purpose or a course of action or resolute. So you're holding tenaciously, tenaciously. Now you're, in other words, you're holding with all your might. And, you, and, and again, keep the two words in mind, shamelessness and impudent, impudence. I have a hard time pronouncing that word. It's not, it's not one I use every day, you know. <laughs> um, 
But go, with this in mind, go to uh, uh, Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, verse 6, 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast, that's the tenaciousness there, let us hold fast our profession, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. There's the audacity. That's the audacity. The bold-faced audacity. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now go, go again to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. There's the word again. Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Holding fast, the let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is faithful that promised, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not the assembling of our, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, as we think about coming boldly, and, and the idea of coming with shamelessness, not being ashamed to come before the Lord, shamelessness is a fruit of a clear or cleansed conscience. Free of guilt and pride. A guilty child would never ask help from a parent. I mean, if they're guilty, they're going to they're tend to, they don't want to see you. They're not going to ask anything if they're guilty. But we can come, we're told to come boldly and without shame. Of course, it's all based on the fact that, that God remembers our sins and our iniquities no more. Look at verse 17. And their sins and iniquities lie remember no more. Because of the blood of Christ, we've been cleansed from our sins and we have the high priest who's interceding for us and so therefore, we can come without guilt and without sin. We can come to Him uh, and seek His face without being ashamed. And of course, it also, you know, we, it must, we must be free of pride. You know, pride will cause us to hesitate to pray. It causes us to hesitate or not to ask help one of another. You know, you have a child that won't ask help, just do it myself. Or sometimes we spouses can be that way too. Or we say, well, we use the excuse, well, I just don't want to bother you. God, by the way, God's never bothered. God's never bothered. God delights that we bring 
our needs to Him. Even if they seem like, well, you know, they're not really that important. They are important. So, and of course, again, this is all the fruit of a clear conscience that we've already mentioned that, uh, of walking with the Lord. But God wants us to come unashamed and boldly. Boldly. Openly. Nothing between us. Nothing that would hinder our coming. You know, the greatest example of this, I think, in the Bible, is in the Old Testament, is Abraham. Go go to, to Genesis chapter 18. And I think we see a classic example of this in Genesis 18 and Abraham as he stood before the Lord. Genesis 18, verse 22. Of course, Abraham has come down and he, and he came down to tell a- Abraham, the Lord came down, to tell Abraham what he was going to do at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he also, at the same time, reiterated the promise that he'd given that Sarah would have a son. And then it, then it says in uh, uh, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And of course he's talking about what he's going to do at Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to destroy it. But in verse 22 it says, And the men turned their faces. So, so the Lord told Abraham what he was going to plan on doing. And it says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham, what's the next word? Stood yet before the Lord. Now, that word before is an interesting word. It's the same word used in Genesis 32.30 when Jacob called the place Peniel. It's that same word as Peniel. And it means the face of God. Abraham stood in God's face, if you will. That's Bold-faced audacity. But he did it with reverence and in fear. If you notice what he says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are there? And, and you know, and, and he continues on in verse 26, and he said, and, he's, and the Lord's, and he says uh, in verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's pleading with the Lord. You know, if there's 50 there, will you spare them? You know, of course, he's pleading for Lot, his nephew and his family. And he, gets, and he continues to plead. And he gets bolder and bolder when it gets fewer and fewer. And yet he's... He, and he, but he, without shame, beseeching the Lord. Of course, it goes all the way down to ten. So Abraham was bold. He was unashamed, yet he, was, he showed reverence and respect. The Lord's will be done. You see, God wants us to come to him boldly. And when, we have our, when our heart is right, you know, we're living in righteousness. We don't. We need not fear. Come boldly before the throne of God. We can ask anything. You know, I've told my kids 
when they were when when they were younger. You know, you can ask anything as long as you ask it with respect. Even if it's something you think I'm wrong at, you can ask it. Sometimes they ask you things that put you in un- make you uncomfortable, but you'll never make the Lord uncomfortable. By the way, he already knows it anyway, what's on your heart. And he desires that intimate relationship where you're open and willing to bring your requests, to bring your concerns before him with boldness. So we need to pray with persistence. And he says, if we will do this, he says, you know, uh, 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 ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You know, too often I'm afraid that we're not persistent enough, and we give up. And so we need to pray. With persistence. And then number four, we need to pray with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Notice verses 11 through 13 says this. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, you know, casual reading of that, those verses can be confusing. Some come up with the idea that, you know, we have to pray and pray and pray and ask the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but let's go back and ask ourselves this question. What was the purpose of this teaching of the Lord? It was a response to a request by the disciples to be taught how to pray. In verses 11 through 13, he uses an earthly father uh, that normally gives good things to his children when they ask him. And so he's saying, so how much more should your heavenly father give you, give us, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us pray as we ought? Now, of course, at this time frame uh, in the Bible, chronologically, the Spirit had not yet been given. John, John 7, 39 says the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he, he didn't as yet indwell the disciples. He would come upon them and leave. That's the way they did in the Old Testament. But So he's speaking here uh, really in future tense. That, but, uh, but, he's, but he said in John... Uh, uh, fourteen sixteen. Uh, maybe just turn over there. John fourteen sixteen. Uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, "And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever." So when He was gone, He was going to have the uh, pray to the Father, and the Father to send the Comforter, that He would abide with you forever, abide with us forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, who the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So, the word, and the word comforter here means one summoned 
or called to one side, especially called to one's aid. Remember the Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not to pray for as we ought. See, he helps. The word helpeth there means to take hold with another. Take hold with another who is laboring. Picture, picture uh, uh, someone pulling a heavy, uh, uh, well, tug of war. Tug of war. And, and you get more people on it. The more people you got on your side, the more likely you're going to win. And, that's, and you add another person to help, to aid in laboring. Uh, and the idea here is to help. He helps bear trials and troubles. That's what infirmities refer to. In, in Luke chapter ten, verse forty, remember when 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 Martha came to Jesus, sword, Lord, bid her that she help me. Same word. And the Spirit helps us. He aids us to know how we ought to pray. In Exodus eighteen twenty two, and. He says, and let them judge the people at all season. It shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee. But every small matter they shall, they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself. And they shall bear the burden with thee. So, you know, this was, uh, this was uh, Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, giving him some counsel to share the burden of the problems, everyday problems that people were coming to him of. And he said, you know, you give the small matters, you appoint elders, and you give the small matters to them, and you take the, the large cases, the difficult ones, and, and so that they can share the burden with thee. You see, you and I need the assistance of the Holy Spirit to share the burdens. Again, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which can, cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, the Spirit of God searches our hearts. The word search means to investigate or to examine into. First Corinthians 2.10 says, The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, we need the Spirit of God to search our hearts. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we want things or we desire things that aren't best. That aren't best for us. And what we need is, and, and, and we can pray those. You know, and I, it's, it's my opinion that you, if you persist in your own will long enough, God may let you have it. I mean, the children of Israel did. But, but it may not be what's best. So we need the Spirit of God to search us. And He searches us, of course, He searches us by the Word of God. And so we need the Spirit of God to give us insight and wisdom into the trials and troubles of life 
So we know how we ought to pray. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times people have asked prayer for certain things, but I didn't pray it the way they asked. Because I knew it wasn't right. So I pray the way I believe this, what was in accordance with the will of God. And of course there have been times I pray for things that I'm glad God didn't answer. <laughs> so look, look at John also, John 16, verse 26. John 16, 26. You know, we don't, we don't speak a lot of the Holy Spirit, but we need the Spirit of God to search our hearts, and we need to be sensitive to His searching. John 16, verse 20, 26 says, um, is it 14, 26? I'm not, yeah, 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, notice this, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Of course, 1 John 2 tells us that we have an unction from the Holy One and He teaches us all things. So, you know, the purpose of the Holy Spirit then is he's a, he's a, he's, He is a gift from God to us to help us, to aid us in our prayer life. So that we can then pray according to the will of God and not according to our own will. You know, as we allow Him to search our hearts and seek His face. And so we need the assistance of the Spirit of God. So when He says He, he gives the gift of the Spirit, he, he, gives us, he gives the Spirit to us to help us pray as we ought. Pray for God's will to be done and not our own. See, God desires that you and I have a, a prayer life that affects not only us, but others. But it will only be effective as we reverence Him, as we walk in righteousness, as we pray with persistence and boldness, not being ashamed to bring anything before the Lord and seek the help and the aid that He offers us through His Holy Spirit. Are we sensitive and submissive to Him? Are we allowing him to search our hearts that we might pray according to his will and see his will done in our life and him be glorified in it? Might us, God help us to pray effectively.